another episode of First Strike. This is KYT. Before we start the show, I just want to plug our main sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. There's always daily deals, uh, different Magic deals, and a weekend deal every week. So be sure to check out the page, FaceToFaceGames.com. Just check out the front slider, and there's usually um, a card that is discounted. So today we got... A special guest, but before we uh, got to introduce our regulars, my boys, we got Robert Lombardi. How's it going, Rob? Well, life is good, except for in my magic career. My magic career, life is terrible, but we can get into that later. <laughs> and uh, I guess now, or about to be fellow Hamilton buddy, Vince D'Agostino. How's it going, Vince? It's going about the same level of run goods in life and magic as, as Rob. <laughs> Life is good, magic career not so much, but that's pretty much always been the case. So, let's, you know, I'm feeling it. It's all good. The store's the store's going. The store's going. The store's going. The store's going. Oh my god, you you have a t-shirt. Oh no, no, I feel bad. Rob doesn't have a first strike shirt. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, People were trolling me about that all weekend. Anyways, I'll get him a waypoint shirt soon. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm wearing anything. Store's now. going good. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more later on. But store's going good right now. I got lots to talk about. Oh, let's just see it. What, see it some more waypoint. Uh, what does it say near the bottom here? Uh, let me click on you. Actually, it says hobbies, games, and cafe because it's a board game cafe that's also a magic card shop. It's got it all. Sweet. And now our special guest, a uh, super super famous nice guy that AJ Soccer himself had to like shout him out out of nowhere, uh, hoping that he would make top eight by a tiebreaker. Sadly, he finished ninth. With our Grixis deck, he, he made his own personal tweaks. He's also the king of cryptocurrency right now. How's it going, Sergio Ferry, in the house? Hey, Carrie, hey, thanks for the, the, the introduction. Yeah, fantastic, Sue. You know, uh, super happy with the result and uh, glad to be here. Thanks, you guys, for the invite. Yeah. Well, no problem. I had a chance uh, to stay with Sergio uh, for Canadian Nationals while I was doing social media work. Got to know him a bit more. Uh, again, like super, super nice guy. Very happy to spend time with him, and I can't wait to see you at the next GP. Congrats once again. Um, we'll start with – actually, I'll start with Rob uh, on the genesis of, of the Grixis deck first, and then we'll go back to your tournament, Sergio. So quickly, Rob, uh, tell us how you, how, you, how you started. Yeah, so uh... – Alexander uh, in the nation, actually, his buddy or something played against a guy that was playing some, like, Grixis mid-range, like, vehicles deck. And he's like, "Uh, from what I gather, like, this is probably the list. Um, And everyone's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Like, it was like uh, Heart of Kirin, Sahili, and then a bunch of value cards, right? Like, very similar to Mardu, but what was Grixis? And uh, he built up a list uh, to kind of kick it off, and it was like, interesting he's like i don't know if this is good a couple other people tried their hands at it i was like i wasn't a believer in like this part of kieran grix's plan so i kind of stripped all the vehicle stuff and the aggro cards away from it and built more of like an energy base um and so it was like a lot more uh mid-range instead of kind of uh aggro aggro mid-range or whatever aggro vehicles deck and it was like good but i was still trying to play like value cards like sahili so there was that was just not not good. I had like Noxious Gear Hulk and, and whatever in it, um, and like Liliana. Uh, it was more like fun than it was great. So um, 
I remember my last comment in the nation was kind of like, uh, this deck just doesn't seem to get there. <laughs> I kind of left it for a month or whatever. Um, and then after Nats, um, like, or sorry, after the PT, I was kind of thinking, like, given Sultai's Rise being good, I was like, oh, maybe that Grixis deck is not that bad, actually, because, like, Little Sleep Siphoner seems very strong, and, like, I just want to be able to kill Hub very reliably on turn two, so I want Fiddle Push and Harness Lightning. So I kind of went back to the drawing board of it, cut all the cute stuff out, and then uh, kind of started tuning from there. It was just, like, very uh, centered around the, the mid-range energy package um, with Glint Sleeve Siphoner kind of being the, the marquee card there and Glorybringer topping it off. And just, like, a, some minor adjustments here and there trying to, to figure out, like, you know, how to not lose to Mono Red instantly game one and that kind of stuff, or lose to Approach, like, just be completely dead to them. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know. It went through, like, four or five leagues. And then uh, the end process was a reasonable template for the deck, which Sergio definitely made some improvements on. Oh, improvements! You're just straight out calling improvements. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the 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 bolus that he cut from the main deck and put in the sideboard for the fourth Glorybringer was like definitely something that needed to happen. I was just like too infatuated with trying to cast bolus in the deck. I was like, this is the thing that needs to happen. But uh, I agree that it should just probably not even be in the list at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had one on, on the sideboard and uh, actually helped me to win a control match on, on turns the, the match that I won against Approach that was on day 2 so I cast Bolas and the guy had a cast Approach on uh, one time so he tapped it out on Approach I, I came back with Bolas um, but it was like he cast Approach and then he had enough mana to play um, what is called the Supreme Wheel so I knew the, the, the card was like the next one or the, the second next one. So I counted the, the Graver, knew he had like exactly five cards that approach was the next one. So I, I managed to play the ballist, use the first ability, excel the card. Oh, I'm not going to play that. Too bad. And then I won the game because of that. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually awesome. 100% intended use of bolus for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Just like fate seal your opponent. That, that's what happened. <laughs> good. good. Um, yeah, that was, that was great. Sergio, did you make many changes to the list? Because um, I'll shout out to P. Sam's. Phil Sam's was watching, who said, who looked at the list after we had tweeted about your success and all the two ofs and all the one ofs make it look like it doesn't, like the deck builder didn't know what he was doing. No, it actually was, um, it was uh, some bets on the, on the sideboard that I, uh, I wanted to do myself because I was training for that GP with Teamer Energy. So that was all that I was training along the week. I posted the, my uh, deck on the First Strike Nation as well. I was doing well with the deck. But at the same time, I was facing a lot of mirrors and people were kind of trying to edge against it. So I knew that even if I play well, there will be some games that it, it, you know, it could go not on my favor because people would have a silver, silver bullet for Timor Energy. So when the, 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 the deck came, and that was like Thursday, it was Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. So, so the list came, and I said, holy crap, I, I, I really like the deck. I really want to jam this. I think it, this deck has, has the tools what it needs. Um, I, and I, I just wanted to make the, those tweaks that would be based on my experience with the team or energy. For example, uh, the fourth Glory Binger and the one Vizier main deck, that was 
things that the Timor Energy was doing to try to edge out on the mirror. And those actually worked the way, the way I'd expected. So that was not me trying to drink the deck, right? So th that was the, uh, most of the changes on the main deck. But on the sideboard, uh, I didn't have that much time to try new things. So I didn't want to put a lot of cards that I didn't test against it. But I want to compare, compare the usefulness of my sideboard on the Timor Energy with the, the, the Grixis one. I noticed that, for example, I was missing a way to interact with the opponent's graveyard. So something that kind of uh, it could, if I play against one of the um, uh, the Godfarrow's deck, I, I could I could see myself in trouble. So I kind of say, well, I don't know exactly what to put here, uh, and then I put a one never uh, return, right? Because it, it helped in one game during the GP, so it was not never uh, was wasn't a dead card at all, and it was one extra Planeswalker uh, kill, right? So. What, what, like, so, so a bunch of your one-ofs actually made an impact <laughs> during the tournament? It, I know, yes. The, the Nico, Nico Bolas won me a game, never returned, won me another game. Uh, if I, let me see if the, the other one-offs that I, I have the, the list open here. You had, you had like but, Rebuke and, and uh, Gaunti and stuff. Like the deck actually yeah. has quite a bit of velocity. Like you're drawing cards with Champion, Siphoner, Chandra. There's a bunch of cycling lands. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's not like you'll never see your one-offs. Like you're, you're, not, you're not likely to see them, but a lot of the stuff is silver bullet. Like you don't want to have a hand with multiple Absolutely. rebukes in it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. not... No, the, the, re the rebuke was that uh, I had that, that card already tested on, on the Timor Energy, and it was already a one-off. So that one, it was not me trying to... It was a one-off against the... Uh, it was insurance against the, all these token decks, and it worked beautifully. Every time that I had that token deck at the second, third game, at some point I drew that card, and it was instant winner was fantastic so I, I could see that coming up to two in the in the future but uh brian also actually used two on, on his uh sideboard but it definitely was good to have a one-off this year also is a one-off but i already had one main deck so kind of um uh it worked together fine and the gaunty it was actually i knew the card was good even maybe for the main deck but i'm not i'm not sure if it would be good enough in on that uh, context, but every time that I play Gaunti during my matches, I really like it. Uh, and I saw some other decks that I, they made, uh, that they did super well that had Gaunti main and more in the sideboard. So uh, that's a, definitely a card that I would like to explore more because every time he hit play it was fantastic. Uh, one of the games I hit my uh, token, absent tokens opponent for his uh, uh, procession. And I actually played that procession, so I could just play uh, the tokens out of, out of the out of this, uh, the Scarab God and, and also the tokens from the Virtuoso, and it was doubling then. So, you know, card is is never bad, and I feel Gonti is never is definitely a card that I should be looking for future matches. Okay, so so quickly, Sergio, you said that uh, you, you were tired of the Teamer mirrors because Teamer is still extremely popular, so you wanted to, to have like Grixis be something different. So uh, if some people are going to GP Portland this weekend, 
what matchups are you hoping to see that, that you felt great about uh, throughout the tournament and, and what matchups you felt, you know, kind of iffy? Right. So, uh, I, based on, on, on my results, the, the random map, random map red decks, uh, uh, it, it, they are hard to win. You have to play very tightly because uh, uh, the way I think you should play with the Greeks is, is uh, you don't have too many uh, life gain sources out of the Edelborns, so you really have to protect your life total. So sometimes instead of playing your bomb or haymaker, you know you, you need to take a little bit of more defensive stance because once you control the board and have your life totals uh, going well, then you start playing your haymakers after that. So that I, that made made a huge difference for me. Um, so the matchup against Mono Red, I would definitely aggro decks. I would probably. Uh, think about, uh, uh, for example, on, on, on the uh, on the curve three, have a, um, a, what is called the harvester, either harvester or something like that. Seems like a good inclusion in this deck. I didn't test, but uh, you know, based on my training with the uh, Timor Energy, could it could it could be wonderful because what happens a lot of times you you don't want to attack with your um, uh, with your siphoner because the guy has like all the the board stall already, even with the menace you can attack through, but you could crew crew your harvester and gain three life attacking the air or something like that. And and you actually need that lifelink for uh, my my wins against Mono Red were literally like at one life or three life. The guy could top deck something I could die at any moment. So which happened in one one of the games. So uh, even if sometimes you stabilize the board you want to be out of the range of him top deck something you die. So that's something I would looking forward for this deck, um, and and the the match against uh, Sultai Energy I think is favorable to you because the Sultai Energy is all about uh, start off the races, put the uh, snake and the and the siphoner in, try to build on that, and you have all the pushes and all the hardness lightings in, so you kind of can fight that plan very well. And then the, your late game is way better than them. So against Sultai Energy, I, I played twice. It was to all my favor. Um, and uh, the, the match that I think is, is definitely more complicated is the four-color energy. That one is, is complicated as well. And um, I didn't play in the, in the GP against, but probably the, the far, God Pharaoh's deck, probably if you're... If you don't load up on the braids and counters and something after sideboard, it can it can get uh, complicated too because they play very well the long game. Sweet. Um, would you play it knowing uh, the, the spectrum match? If, if you were going to GP Portland, would you play this deck? Would you recommend it? I w- I would one hundred percent recommend the deck. Uh, definitely, it deserves uh, maybe some tuning moving forward because now you see a lot of mono red decks into the top eight. Uh, so you, maybe some more preparation, as I mentioned, about the, uh, with the harvesters or you know, some other um, anti-agro strategy. I, uh, in my case, I run uh, two chambers defeat on the sideboard. Those were great. I would still stick with those. Uh, but I think you still need a little bit of a try some life game, maybe a third of the, of the um, uh, what is called the, uh, the gifted Edelborn as well. That could be also a possibility, uh, or harvesters, or anything. Just to, just a little, little bit out of the um, 
the three life points uh, range. That would be minimum tweaks that would do in the deck. But the deck is still under the radar, right? Because the, being the ninth, you don't appear right on the, on the top eight deck. So and one thing that I noticed is a lot of my opponents, they miss board against me. They, one of them sideboard Duras against me, which is not that great. You know, the first one hit me for removal, but after that, um, when he played the second one, I just used my uh, harness lighting to get three energy and show my hand with three creatures. So it's kind of, uh, you know, people are still uh, not sideboarding well against it. Uh, one, another of my opponents uh, sideboarding Solanity against me, which the card is literally terrible against me if you play solemnity and do nothing i can definitely ignore solemnity this deck way better than an energy deck would do so uh yeah i think the deck still has an edge and people not playing optimally against it and there's a lot of room for improvement i would definitely recommend for the next weekend important i would play 100 percent if i was going to play important okay 100 percent um i'll go back to you rob uh I already asked this is about Sergio, like tweaking the deck. Um, again, I want your comment on all the two ofs and all the one ofs that, that look funky. Is it just right? Is it should it look like about right right now? The main deck. I hope we can hear Rob. I think we can't, <laughs> Vince. <laughs> about his deck. I mean, I think people are kind of calling him out on Twitter while he was showing off the list too. That there was like a weird number of twos, like. I think people were calling him out for three Virtuosos. And at the time, I was too. I was like, I feel like Virtuoso is probably one of the better cards in the format. And if you're playing it in your deck, it should probably be a four of. But this deck is a lot different. Like, watching Rob play it, it doesn't really... It's not playing the traditional energy kind of, like, curve out the way the other team decks are. It's kind of just jamming a whole bunch of removal spells, slipping a siphoner in while it's killing everything, and then going over the top later on, so Virtuoso is not super required for that strategy, so I kind of get why um, you don't really need four. The other two in one of I guess I'll let Rob and Sergio speak to now that Rob's back. Yeah. Go ahead. Let, no, please, uh, I would like to hear your opinion and then we can, I can explain it, give a little bit of my explanation side here. Sure, yeah, so, um, uh, so a lot of the card choices... Uh, especially from the original list, were were done just like out of curve considerations. So, like a lot of people, I guess they they just they get offended when it's not like ramming up red teamer energy build itself. Like, oh, these are this is just the best card at every point in the curve. And oh, if you do that, the deck just naturally curves itself out. Like if you look at teamer, you just like playing all the best cards, and it just the deck just curves itself out, right? Like servant, cub, harness, lightning, cool, virtuoso, rogue refiner. <laughs> bristling hydra glory bringer like yeah okay like you just don't get that all the time right same with same with mono red you, you get a, a whole bunch of uh one two three drops uh some removal spells in there and then hazaret where uh in a, in a deck like this like it just doesn't build itself in the same way and you want kind of different functions right so um the removal suite is is pretty self-explanatory like four fatal push four harness lightning two vasca's contempt like you just don't want a bunch of vasca's contempt obviously um, and then I think Sergio pulled in a braid into the main. I'm not sure if I have yeah. that there, which is just like a. I mean, it, it makes sense. It, it's good against Sultai, it's good against uh, Mono Red, and it's good against um, 
teamer, so I, I think that's fine. You just have basically five harness lightnings, right? You think about it like that. The Doomfalls are there because um, I felt dead to, like, Scarab God Hazaret Bristling Hydra sometimes, uh, but I had enough removal to keep the board clear, and I wanted something that was also, like, not dead against approach. Or I could, like, snag a Scarab God in the hand or something, right? So Doomfall's, like, uh, just a reasonable removal spell, and it kind of, like, fits into the curve at three. So, like, if you just look at the the deck from a curve perspective, you can see why it, it makes sense to be there. And then the other numbers are just uh, for curve consideration, right? Like I wanted six two-drop creatures, Siphoner's the best one, and I wanted something that was relevant and kind of a must-kill for a bunch of decks in the format. So I, I picked Gifted Aetherborn because it's good against the other energy decks, it's good against uh, Mono Red, but like I, I don't need four of them, I don't want four of them in the deck. Uh, and then the split between Champion of Wits and Virtuoso that, that went back and forth a lot for a long time, and I just uh, like, you're not an energy deck like the, the teamer deck is, so you can't just like pump out a bunch of Thopters. It's more there just to like allow you to get to the late game and make sure you don't die to Mono Red game one. So I just I didn't feel like I needed four, and I definitely wanted two Champion Blitz so I could make sure to hit my land drops, and like, it, the deck plays 26 lands, so to be able to filter your lands out, and also it's a relevant threat later, right? So, um... Yeah, and then, like, you know, at the four-drop slot, you have Vrasa's Contempt, Chandra, and then, you know, you only have room for a couple other spells, so there's two Hodges hostage takers, and uh, Sergio put a Vizier in there, which is also fine. Um, if I was playing the event, I probably would have done similar thing. I probably would have kept the Vizier in the board and played the second Scarab God, but it's kind of like, you know, we're really split there at that point. Um, and I, I feel like you can get hostage taker uh, flooded, for sure, right? Where, like, you just don't want to see three of them in your hand. They're not, not doing a lot. You just kind of, you want to use one when it's relevant, um, steal something important. You're not trying to, like, steal servants all the time, right? Or play it in an inopportune time because you don't have anything else to play, and then they just remove it and, you know, pop their Rogue Refiner back from underneath it or something and gain value. So that, that's kind of why the numbers are the way they are. Mostly curve. It was thoughtful. It wasn't random, though. <laughs> No, and uh, I, I couldn't agree more with Rob. I, I think that the uh, three curve that is also that mix on, on virtuosos and and uh, champions with the champions really, really uh, you, you performed better than I expect on this deck. Every game that went longer and I had access to champion to, to, to draw four cards late in the game, that's that's a beating. It's, it's really hard to, for my opponents to, um, you know, to to be four kinds of cards behind me if the if if, if the battlefield is stabilized and and uh, I feel two is the perfect number because I can uh, in some matches for example what has happened with tokens I could I could uh, throw away some spot removals and to get access to lands and and more haymakers and things like that so I uh, the idea behind it's perfect uh, for virtuosos I had a similar line of thought I mean I didn't play much the deck. Before the GP, but I knew by the name, by the number of energy producers that the virtuoso would be like, oh, gonna make uh, three topters or anything like that. But more like insurance against mono red, and also the to have that energy f- to draw cards with siphoner and not so the 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 energy producing for the siphoners were m- way more important than the topters at the end of the day. That's most of the time. If I were ahead, I was I was using the energy to draw cards and not to produce doctors. Okay. 
Um, were there any interesting stories from, from your tournament, Sergio, that you want, you want to share? Uh, yeah, no, I, there were a few high points in the tournament that, that definitely worth to mention, right? Uh, that draw uh, I, that I mentioned, that was, that was kind of the low point of the tournament. So I don't want to, you know, stick on that anymore. But it was like, yeah, I think that's something that I would like to uh, just give the highlights. I, uh, we were uh, five minutes into the end of the match. And my opponent asked me to, oh, let's uh, play it out and see how the, it looks like. And uh, if, if we, you know, if we come to a point that is, you know, it's way more favorable to one to the other, you know, we can, you know, consider each other or something like that. And I, and I was totally fine with that plan because a draw on day one of the GP, is, uh, you know, it, it more like feels more like a loss than everything else. And I was totally fine if I were like in a point that was, yeah, I'm way behind. You would probably win that, uh, you know, uh, and get to this uh, agreement on, on conceding. And that's nothing wrong with that, right? Because uh, by the rules, it's uh, we are not offering offering nothing to each other, and we are not uh, revealing cards because that's that's definitely prohibited to to review review cards on the top of a library to try to to get you some result, but based on what you have. You can look into those and see, yeah, that's um, you were way ahead. I'm going to die, or you know, and just concede each other. Uh, and we we play it out. And uh, the end of the five turns, I had the guy at, at six life. I have six power in play. He has nothing on his hand, or he had like a cast out or something. But I was with my twenty life back on the gate. More haymakers on my hand. I was going definitely to, 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 to win that game. And he backed out on his word and said, nah, I don't feel like it. Just, let's just draw. And sure, okay, man. But I don't think, you know, if you're not willing to do it, why did you offer me in the first hand? So, you know, it is what it is. And uh, that was the low part, right? But I also would like to mention some incredible games that I had. Like I had my opponent, like in... in playing his seventh land while I was stuck on three lands and I was still able to win this game by uh, literally just playing my removal super tight, going low life and then stabilizing afterwards. Uh, so this deck, you know, sometimes it has a lot of that, like uh, the, the match that I play on camera, I was on game two, I was taking a lot of beating and then I was able to stabilize at some point and then you come back fourth and then you swing for lots afterwards. So you know, it's uh, definitely some great matches, and that one that I made, uh, one that I also that was really, uh, really cool was uh, one that I um, played against Approach, and then uh, on game on game three was literally um, could go either way. My opponent plays his first approach and put his card six cards down, and then at some point I, I had uh, Nico Wallace in my hand, and then I. He goes, play his fifth card, and taps it out, and 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 uh, play something. I was able to, um, you know, take take that. Uh, he plays. Uh, it was not a second approach where he played. He tapped out to play. I think it was a cat or this uh, this cat that I forgot the name. Regis Caracol, right? I think. Oh yeah, Regal yeah. Caracol. Yeah, yeah. Regal Caracol. Yeah. So he played. I couldn't care less. And then um, he played uh, his Supreme Wheel, knew four cards, and they, I knew his, his, the card right on top was his um, approach. And then I played 
then come back to me and play Nico Balls on seven, and then use the first ability to exile his card. <laughs> and that was enough for me to win <laughs> that match. <laughs> that, was a, that was a funny one. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, that actually was a ruling. Was, okay, so if I play that, I will come back to his library again. I didn't want that, so I just... Yeah, exile. I don't want to play. I'm cool. Yeah. Oh, if you cast it, it goes back into his library. Yeah, I absolutely. That. <laughs> I, call, I, I, I actually stopped playing Call of Judge because that would be relevant. So I, you know, before I could misplay or something, I just stopped Call of Judge. And then, actually, yeah, if you play that, it comes back to his library. Yeah, that's yeah, good. No way. Call of Judge. Again? Stop thinking Call of Judge. Yeah. It's good advice exactly. to Call of Judge. Absolutely. So, and then I, the second question was, okay, can I decide to not cast it? And I say, yes, you cannot cast it, and it remains exile. And then I smile, and I say, that's all that I want to hear. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was a, I had some great matches, and my opponents overall, they were uh, very respectful. And uh, I didn't have any, I mean, other than that draw guy, that, but otherwise, all my opponents were nice. And uh, some of them actually... Uh, at, search me out on Facebook to give me congrats. So that was very nice of them. I mean, I, I'm the one that I, you know, I not even never keep track of. <laughs> and if I just lose, I lose. I don't want to know about it anymore. I just turn around and I uh, don't even check the results. But, uh, yeah, that happened uh, with you guys, actually, that play. So I yeah, shoot out for, uh, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, I'm really excited for you. I'm really happy for you, Sergio. Um... You had mentioned before the show that now it's like a, a mental hurdle that, that you feel you're, you've jumped across. Absolutely. Like, I, feel, I feel that it's uh, for every uh, player that is being on the grind like me and trying to move forward with uh, you know, his magic path. I think that's a mental block that is away from me now. You know, I know that I can get there again, you know, doing the right decisions, pressing a bit. And again, uh, one thing that I also mentioned about the sense of community, uh, that it definitely helps a lot, you know, to make some decisions in terms of uh, uh, what to play or what is the meta game looks like, right? Um, um, I think that's the, the high uh, mind. It's definitely helps a lot in the improvement. So, yeah, that was a great run. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to being on the show again in the future. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, can you tell us? Uh, I mean, someone, someone in the First Strike Nation wanted you to comment on, on cryptocurrency. Can you give us a, a, a little, a few words? <laughs> oh, man. Cryptocurrencies are the future. Um, <laughs> I see that there's a lot of opportunities right now in the, in, in the market. And, uh, you know, I, I would just say, and, you know, do yourself a favor. Um, you can invest in cryptocurrencies with like as low as $50. Uh, do you, you know, if you have any savings, get a, like 10% of that. No, not everything, not half. Like 10%, put it aside. And because there's a lot of uh, things going on in, in that new market that is, uh, that I think that will, you know, in the long run, will be great for all these early adopters. All right, all right. So whoever asked that, I hope that answers the question. Thanks for being on the show, Sergio, and have a safe flight home. Guys, my pleasure. I'll be watching here now on the sidelines. 
uh, again, uh, uh, shout out to all the First Strike uh, Nation. Guys were awesome. Everybody reaching out to give me congrats and uh, helping. So the whole process were, you know, I would like to uh, divide that victory with you guys and especially Rob for being awesome too. Thank you guys. All right. And that was Sergio Ferry finished ninth at GP Atlanta. Um, he's excited about playing the stack, running it back to Portland if you were playing. Uh, but Rob, hearing all his thoughts, hearing how he broke down the matchups and hearing how you could improve the deck, you feel the same way. What's your final couple of words uh, as we wrap up the subject? Yeah, so um, actually, uh, I, I tested out kind of some of Sergio's changes uh, already um, going into uh, into this week, seeing if I can make some final adjustments to uh, to make sure the deck is well positioned. And I think there's room for like maybe uh, a few cut to ribbons um, in the deck, and that that's really probably really the only change. And then depending on how the meta shifts, like uh, if mono red or tokens start getting popular again, which they're they're not really, uh, you know, extra popular right now, but maybe the G- GP results from last week change that, then the sideboard configuration would change. But otherwise, I think the deck is uh, pretty good. But it is definitely very difficult to play, but it's super fun. So I definitely recommend at least jamming it at an FNM if you don't have a big event uh, to go to. It's way more fun than playing uh, Mono Red or Teamer. I-, I promise you that, at least. Even if you lose. It's more fun even to lose with this deck. <laughs> Um, someone, uh, I think it was Aaron Barrett, wanted us to comment on the different approaches of mono red. Currently, I've seen the top eight. You mentioned like the number of uh, harsh mentors and, and how Stark deviated from that. Uh, do you have a quick take for us, Rob? So Ben Stark's list is actually very interesting. Uh, it sports three Dunes of the Dead, which is uh, on nobody's short list for being. <laughs> In the top eight of a standard Grand Prix, probably. Um, but I, I feel like it's very much a, a medical based on there being a lot of Saltai, Monored, Teamer decks kind of floating around, and maybe him thinking as well that the uh, Approach and Godfrey's Gift decks are not going to be popular uh, going into this event. Because he has like three main deck Sand Stranglers and only one Hazaret uh, in the main. So... Um, I'm not sure that this deck has legs to stick around. I think it's kind of like a, a deck for the tournament, so to speak. Um, but it's good to know that you can still play Mono Red and kind of change it into like more of a mid-rangey uh, list instead of you know trying to be like all Kenra Heartbreakers, as Vince calls them, and uh, on Craft Crashers and stuff like that. I don't that. even know what it's called anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I, I like the look of the list, but I, I don't think uh, this is where Mono Red is going to stay uh, for the longevity of, of Standard. I've, I've, I've got to read this card. <laughs> Dunes of the Dead. When it's put into a graveyard from the battlefield, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token, so it's a desert. So it's really trying to squeak out some some 2-2s and, and get in there? like. Yeah, I mean, Rhyming Up Ruins now does two damage and creates a 2-2 zombie. So it's like the pure value play, I guess. I mean, um, there's a lot of colorless lands. There's eight, I think, which is a little too much for my liking. But there's also two treasure maps. I don't know. This this list is just like a very weird list. So um, I'm not... It's definitely not something I would 
I would battle with. But uh, I guess to Aaron's also his question was around like uh, Harsh Mentor and Ferocidon. I, I still think those are very strong places to be. So like if you're you know, well versed in playing normal mono red aggro decks, I think like the four Harsh Mentor for Ferocidon in the seventy five is like a, a, a reasonable spot to be given where the meta currently is. It's it's good against all them them teamer lists and uh, and stuff like that. So but I guess if you like the spice, this is something to try out. <laughs> well, you mentioned that it might be good in, to, to like oh grind energy, or what did you say again? Yeah, I mean, because you can just like pop a, a virtuoso with a sand strangler, right? So like you're presenting a four mana three three that that kills their guy. Where normally like you'd be burning in a braid on it. So I mean, you, you're definitely like get to stay at card parity, and then I guess you're picking that. You know, being able to pull ahead with like Bomac Courier, and then I don't know really how, I don't know really how you're close. I guess you're just closing the game with Glorybringer then, and and hoping that they they have to use their Harness Lightnings on on your early plays because they think you're um, a hyper aggressive deck, right? So they're probably like popping Karizav and 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 other cards like that, like Ferocidon. So yeah, I don't know. It's, your ruins it's, too, right? Like, that's kind yeah, of been you have rooms to close the game. Yeah, that's fair. That's the fair. weird thing about these new mono red decks is that they have so much more reach than they used to with their land base. So I think that's part of the reason why a deck like this can actually work is because even though they have a bunch of aggressive cards, red has access to a lot of these weird kind of like not attrition based cards, but like slower. I can win the game in ten turns and still present a clock kind of cards, which is very weird for red. Treasure map just seems crazy in the main deck. The treasure map. I, 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 I want to see Ben Stark write an article and explain this. <laughs> and I, want, I want his explanation to make sense. Because uh, I'm not on that level yet, whatever that level is. <laughs> so you would stick to, to more something uh, closer to the other monorail list that's in... That's... Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I, it, I always question like when some of the best players in the world bring like something that's really off the wall and they do well with. And it's like, you know, is this really a good deck, or are they just like a very good at magic, right? <laughs> like when John Finkel did really well with that. Oh, what was it like a uh, green black dark dark petition green black seasons pass? Seasons or whatever. Was like, oh my god, this is this deck's insane! It beats everything. And it's like, no, no, no. John Finkel's just a master. <laughs> like it's very different. <laughs> I had that moment watching Pascal at the PT. I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Godfrey's gift must be a real deck. And then I started watching Pascal play. I'm like. No, no, no. There's no way I would have won any of these games playing this deck. It's certainly <laughs> the pilot and not the deck at all. So, yeah, that's definitely something you got to watch out for. And in some of these cases, I wonder if it's because people get intimidated and just play bad against these players. It's not even like they need to play especially well. It's just like, holy crap, it's John Finkel. And then you start screwing up. Um, I know, like, I- I've in the early stages of my career where, where I played GPs and played against known players, I would definitely. Um, get nervous and make a mistake or two because uh, of the people I was playing. Um, Sergio mentioned unintentional draw situation that he had, which brings us to our, I guess, rant of the cast that we haven't had in a while since, uh, I guess, main board, since, uh, you know, main board is the only thing that really had side, side deck. Uh, but Rob, you, you have a solution for us for, for un, unintentional draws? Yeah, I just, so I, I hate unintentional draws so much because, like, no one wins, right? Like, both players lose when there's an unintentional draw. Um, and intentional draws, usually in an intentional draw, 
unless people don't know how to do their tiebreaker math, both people win. So I'm, just to be clear, I'm totally fine with intentional draws. It's unintentional draws that I don't like because both people are losers and one person definitely shouldn't have been a loser in almost all circumstances. Because um, what you'll see happen is that one person, like the, the time starts getting short. One person definitely is, is advantaged in a lot of the scenarios. I'll say like probably 75% of the scenarios, for example. And the other person knows that like they can't win, right? There's just no way they can win in the time allotted. So they start playing for the draw. And like if those players would have more time, there's like very close to a 0% chance that the person playing for the draw uh, would be able to close, you know, close the game out. Like they're definitely going to lose. They just feel like, ah, there's only five minutes left. I just don't think that, you know, he can assemble or she can assemble uh, a winning board state um, in, in that amount of time plus extra turns. So I'm just going to do everything in my power to like make sure my life total is above zero when, when five turns is up. And I feel like, you know, in, in GPs, like judges are usually there watching the extra turns. And I, you know, it, it, it would be okay with me anyways, if they made a judgment call kind of at the end of the match, it was just like, okay, you know, you're like, whatever, if beyond a reasonable doubt, that person was going to win, then they should just award them the win. Just like call it a day. It's like, it, you know, it benefits both players to be in this position and it, it eliminates the awkwardness of like someone trying to slow down the board state and do as much nothing as they can just to try and, and, and get away with the draw. It's just like, you won't have people doing that anymore because when they do that, they'll be so far behind that the judge will just come by and be like, yeah, there's like no way you were ever winning this game. You just obviously are playing for the draw. You lose. Next. <laughs> Okay, Vince, why would this never work? This is like the worst solution to like the only thing I agreed with so far with what Rob said is that unintentional draws suck. And I completely agree. Unintentional draws are bad, but this might be like, if you had to list potential solutions to unintentional draws, this might actually be the worst one next to like coin flipping for a winner. Like, you know how bad way different than coin flipping for a winner. I didn't say it was similar i said it was equally as awful they're not similar in the way they play out oh, I, I forgot i wait before you continue lambasting me for my oh my, my opinion oh, i forgot where one very important point if the judge thinks that it's you know reasonable that he can't discern for sure who is very likely to win the game then it just it, it still ends up in an unintentional draw yeah see this is now you've you've just made it way too subjective like You've also put way too much power in, in a judge who watched three turns of 50 minutes of magic to decide who a winner of a match is. Like, ev- first of all, every single person who loses one of these judge calls is appealing. Every single one of them. If I ever was in this situation where I lost because a judge was like, yeah, I don't think you're going to win this game, so I'm going to decide that you've lost, I'm snap appealing it instantly. So now you have to deal with at the end of every round, 50 people or however many people are, are losing to this appealing every call. Secondly, no one's going to feel good about this. Like, the guy who wins is like, I, a judge just decided to give me a win this round. The guy who lost is like, I just got cheated out of a point because a judge decided I couldn't win when I thought I could, or I tried to play myself into a position where I could win. This is not the solution for unintentional draws. There's a bunch that exist that are great, this is like way worse than those ones. Like you could have sudden death, which already exists in a lot of situations. That's terrible. Sudden death is. I agree. Sudden death is terrible. It's better than the ruling you've decided. Sudden no death way. is significantly better than what you're suggesting. 
you can have, I mean, the reality is that once, you know, Magic Digital next, this won't be an issue, right? We can, ha- we have digital chess clocks on MTGO. If we start, you know, moving Magic towards a digital frontier, whatever you want to call it, you eliminate the issue of unintentional draws. You could have the person who has the most slow play warnings at the end of a round lose the round if it's going to be an unintentional draw. If you've been called in that tournament for a slow play warning and your opponent hasn't, you probably took more time than your opponent unnecessarily during that, that round. If a judge's issue is slow play during that match, you could force them to get a game loss if it goes to time. Or not a game loss, but they just lose lose the final round. Like There's a lot of solutions that don't involve a judge deciding the fate of a round you know that arbitrarily. Like, I know it's been a while since you've played a big tournament. Oh, fence, here we go. But, <laughs> you know, like a lot of times where a match goes to time, if there were seven turns instead of five, the game would have concluded to a proper victory in, in a lot of scenarios. And I think it's very easy for someone to just look at the board state and look at the cards in hand and be like, there's a 0% chance you're going to win because you're actually dead if this person untaps. And like okay. in those cases, it just doesn't make any sense to award a draw. I agree completely. Lose. And, and what the other person is going to say, like the, the loser, right, is like, oh, well, I just, you know, I just, I wanted that point. And it's like, okay, I understand in your head you think you're gaining a point, but what you're doing is actually just getting a loss because the point can't help you. It can't help your place. Sure. Let's okay. So I agree with you completely. There are plenty of circumstances where it's turn five, and you know someone would have won, and then if they had an extra turn or two, so then give the judge the opportunity to allow that to happen, not determine a winner. Okay. Sure. 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 That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Like if, if the, the judge, judge if, if the judge feels like it's a very close game that will end very soon, give the judge the opportunity to say you each get one more turn, and then it's over. And if the and that's fine, if okay, players want to. I can see that's a better solution. That was one that I came up with in literally five seconds. I'm sure there's hundreds of... Oh, my my, my chirps are so bad we deleted Rob off the camera. Um, No, I'm sure there's like an an infinite list of better options. That was just the first one that I came up with. So, yeah. Having a judge decide who the winner of a game is at any point is a bad thing. Full stop. Full stop. Never implement that. Okay, yeah, let's, let's implement Vince's new solution. I, I'm fine. I just, I feel like there's a lot of people that when they play to the draw, it, it's bad. I want to discourage that. And I feel like giving the judge the leverage fine then to allow the match to proceed into other additional turns if it's like within a reasonable time frame that the match is going to conclude, like i.e. the next turn or something, then uh, they should have at least that freedom. We should test that out, see how it goes. That would probably cool. be good. Just please no judge deciding who wins based on what they think. Kids, and I, I don't want to call out judges because I think there's a lot of great judges, but you and I both know that there would be judges that would get this call so horrifically wrong so often. Like, I'm sorry, you can't tell me a judge, a, a judge is going to have the same understanding of a board state as two Hall of Fame pros who are playing against each other and going to... Could you imagine if a judge called a game like that? No, no, like, I mean, yeah, oh, you beat Ben Stark. I've decided. It has to be definitive. Like, that would be insanity. No, Vince, like, I'm talking about obvious victories, like the person untaps and they're dead. Or it's like, yeah, but maybe the they person... just, 
maybe they don't see something or like I'm just I'm not comfortable with it. Anyway, we we came up with a better solution. We'll use that one. Let's move on. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, can't wait for uh, our listeners to let us know what they feel about Vince's solution. Um, today was the first time and we're gonna, we're going to dive into this, uh, a non-competitive topic for a bit. Uh, today we got a lot of unstable uh, spoilers today um, coming out on uh, Reddit, posted everywhere. Uh, I don't know why. I keep asking Vince this because of his, and I keep bringing this up because of his commentary on the Egyptian uh, cards that we had before. Um, I feel like they outdid themselves. I, I provided a link in the chat for, for the lands. Once again, I think they're outstanding. Uh, the way they've designed these. And I keep asking myself, why don't they just make this like the standard design? But I guess they just want to keep the crappy looking basic lands for tradition's sake. Uh, what do you think of the lands, Vince? They're growing on me. I When I first saw them, I'm like, why didn't they just reprint Unhinged Lands? Because like those are, like Unhinged Lands are very, very nice. But I'm starting to like the frame a little bit more. I didn't like the whole two-tone kind of thing in the top where it was just kind of like faded out color for like where it says Plains Island Swamp Mountain Forest. But I think the art is great. I like the little bordering at the bottom with the color of the land at the bottom. Um, it looks really good with the new rare symbol. Um, these are going to be probably worth a lot. So, And I think that's also part of the reason why they don't just jam these in every set now, because Wizards needs to sell packs of Unstable. People will be buying these for the lands. So, yeah, they, they look great. I mean, the island is gorgeous. The artwork on them is just, like, phenomenal. Um, it's going to be the kind of thing that I wish I had 20 of each, and I never will. And I'll just be sad about it. So that's probably a good sign that it's pretty good stuff. I'm I'm just gonna play nothing but these lands. I, they or like any my, for my decks. I just want to play any unlands or any uh, I guess the Zendikar type lands, and that's full or bust. Yeah, for for or bust. And I'm with you. It just makes the game. I don't know. It makes the game look so much better in general. For, for even for people who are not into the game, I think my girlfriend like really likes. The, the, the full art lands gets attracted by that but like you said they have to I guess they have to sell these packs uh, to a wider audience and everyone who plays Magic if they like the art of this are, are going to want at least to buy many of these singles and uh, crack open a bunch of packs just to get grab a land so Rob are you much of a land fan? Yeah of course full order bust is, is my life motto <laughs> uh, so I agree with Vince's initial assessment of these lands that I very much dislike the top two-toneness. I wish it was a clean cut or something else. I think it... Like, the John Avon art is so good, and that's just, like, such a blemish on the card to have like that. Especially on the mountain. It just... And plains, it just looks so miserable. Uh, I just wish it wasn't there. If it didn't fade at all and just said mountain or plains or whatever, in white font, I would be much happier about that, I think, from an aesthetics perspective. It would be but really like, tough to read. That's the problem. I, that's possible. I mean, I'm also fine with them like just having a straight like black bar at the top of the name <laughs> so that you don't have this weird two-toneness. Like, I know what they're, they're trying to do, but it, I just feel like 
the art's just so damn good. I just don't, you know, it's unfortunate, but John Avon's a master. I mean, that at least that's a, a universal truth. Yeah. Uh, Vincent Jad, did you want to say something before? I was going to say, are we ever going to get to a point? I think legally we're not allowed to because of the way the rules work. Do we have to have the text Plains, Island, Swamp, Mountain Forest on full art lands? If they're so obviously Plains, Islands, Swamps, Mountains, and Forests. Uh, like, hypothetically, we should be able to. Wizards yeah. could implement. Right. I, agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think it, it is obvious, except for if they're German planes, which are actually forests, which uh, right. cost me a game, actually, in one of the GPs, because I thought my opponent was playing Obzon, but he was not. Or not Obzon. <laughs> I thought he was playing... They're, they're actually forests. I thought he was Mardu, and he was Junt. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> it was he's, like, <laughs> he's like, oh, these are forests. And I was like, cool. They have the artwork of a planes, and they're white uh, everywhere. <laughs> it's like, yeah, those shouldn't be allowed in tournament cool. day. Yeah, I was already having a bad event, so I didn't bother calling a judge, but I was like thinking after the tournament, I'm like, this can't be legal. This is so stupid. <laughs> but yeah, I think like with these lands, realistically, you could just have no text on them, and everyone would know what's going on. And I think that would be cool. And that would be a neat like departure from... Uh, what WotC is normally doing with this kind of stuff. You heard it here first. Predictions for Unfor by Vince Dextino. <laughs> in twenty twenty six. I just want to briefly mention something Chris York mentioned in the chat earlier about how it's kind of awkward that they're promoting unstable like crazy when uh, I don't know if it's there's been such a case where where the positioning is like that where Iconic Masters is coming out this Friday and I feel like. Most people may have forgotten that it's coming out this Friday. Like, have you seen any hype around Iconic, uh, Vince? This is actually something that really bothers me. And it's something that is a trend that Watsi's been going down. And I'm assuming it's because Hasbro's been pushing them, like, milk as much money out of magic as possible. And this is what happens when you release way too much product as a company. Like, there's way too many side products coming out now and people are just getting to a point where they're oversaturated and they're like, I don't even know what the next set is. I don't know what I should be getting excited for. Uh, I don't like this at all. And I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a genuine problem. Um, we're seeing it now with Iconic Masters and, and the Unset. And there's like also a board game coming out or something. Explorers of Ixalan or something. I think that's coming out in December. Like there's all of this stuff and... It's just way too much at once for for anyone. Like, no one is this invested in Magic to be like, oh yeah, every two weeks I need a new set. Give me 200 new cards every two weeks or I'm going to lose my mind. Like, it's too much product. Just chill out. Focus on your, your core expansion sets. Maybe have one cool set a year. Do your dual decks. Do whatever Planeswalker decks you want to do. But this is like a crazy amount of product they're releasing. And we're seeing, I think, stores are starting to kind of you know, rein it in on how much product they're buying because it's just like, I can't willingly try to sell new product every three weeks to Magic customers. It's just way too much. So I hope they they uh, realize that and start slowing down on the amount of stuff they're releasing. Yeah, and the, the week after we have, we actually have From the Vault Transform. The very Friday after is is the release. I don't know. You didn't even mention that. <laughs> so I didn't even know of, about it. 
there's just a lot of magic products. Uh, Rob, have you been keeping up to date with, with all this stuff? Uh, unfortunately. Uh, like, <laughs> not on purpose, just other people are talking about it, and I, I see people in Facebook group and stuff mentioning uh, things about releases. I, I agree with Vince. I think it's insane, the amount of releases that Watsi's going through, but I feel like this is just pressure from Hasbro corporate, especially in the Christmas season. That's why you have, like, in Q4, Commander release, Iconic Masters, Unstable, FTV, whatever the holiday gift box thing is called, the board game. They're just, like, piling it all on. So, like, no matter what, the total number of sales will look high. It doesn't actually matter if any product is successful, just that, like, all of them are at least mediocre, and it'll make it look like, you know, the, the quarter was successful, which is how big corporations do business, and it's unfortunate, but that's kind of, uh, I guess, the North American world that we live in. Uh, so it is what it is. I don't think it's going to stop uh, anytime soon. It's just like a, a huge trade-off, right? Like, you're, you're gaining, maybe, maybe you're gaining in the short term in terms of revenue. But long-term, you're damaging your brand and diluting it to a point where people are going to become kind of disillusioned. And, I mean, I can tell you, I've, I've been playing Magic since Lorwyn, so what is that, 2007? I knew every set that came out up until 2014, I would say. Every single thing that came out, I was up on it. I was be reading spoilers, whatever. I have no, like, since Conspiracy, I think, I have no idea what's going on. There's just stuff coming out all the time. There's different types of from the vaults. There's like, it's just insane the amount of stuff that's coming out. There's no way someone, like, th- that that would be acceptable like there's just too many different types of products coming out now for anyone to keep up with maybe they're trying to branch out and be like there's a group of people that like from the vaults and there's a group of people that like commander and there's a group of people that like new expansion sets and and i think that's fair but even if you accepted that premise they're still releasing too much product to those individual groups so yeah at least in the time span like yeah yeah feels like i think we just get the new we just get rivals in Q1, right? Like that's it. That's all that's going on. Right. Very, very and I, if you think <laughs> about like think about the time span between the first master set, right? Modern Masters one, and then it was Modern Masters two, if I'm not mistaken, right? Before Eternal Masters. Yeah. So we went MM one, MM two. MM two is like MM2. two years after MM one, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone and thought then, it was gonna be on a two year rotation. Yeah. Right. And since MM two we've had like three master sets we're gonna get a fourth too because i think there's some special anniversary set next year like yeah that's just way that's that's crazy because probably also another modern masters or vintage masters and do you know why this worked or and why this is happening because parent companies saw oh we can sell premium booster packs at 15 dollars a pack instead of three yeah please release that every three months the problem is you saturate the market and people can't afford to keep paying 15 dollars for their booster packs so there's just a limit, and I don't think there's been enough kind of oversight on the implications of jamming product down our throats. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was good. Uh, we're going to end with our topic uh, from the Frustrate Nation, courtesy of MS Nelson. After a disappointing RPTQ finish, I'm curious what you all do to reflect and process through an unsuccessful, unsuccessful tournament. And... Uh, We'll start with you, Rob. You said that you, you had a crappy RPTQ and Mox result recently. Yeah, they did not go as planned. 
I went three four in the mocks and then two four in the RPTQ. In the mocks, I played a Grixis list that's very similar to Sergio's, and I I ended up losing to Saltai, which is like I feel a great matchup. Uh, three of those four losses, so things just really didn't break my way. I also had a headache and was playing definitely subpar. So subpar draws, subpar play. You're definitely not in for a good result. <laughs> and then uh, because I was testing standard for the mocks all week. Um, I didn't have any time to test modern for the RPTQ. So I had some experience with Eldrazi Tron from before. People still say it's a very good deck. I figured I probably want to play an uninteractive deck that if I get, you know, to do what I want to do, it's the most powerful thing in the format. So I, uh, I took that to the RPTQ in the first round. I definitely manhandled my opponent. I got to do everything I wanted to do. I was casting Ulamog on turn four with like just, you know, tower, Mind power plant tower, you dead, <laughs> uh, which is like you know the dream. And I was like, oh man, yeah, this deck is the nut. And then the next five rounds, I didn't get ends that were even like in the same, like you know, I don't know, the same millennia as things like that. They were way off. <laughs> and so I did a bunch of like mediocre things. I was I was casting a lot of walking ballista uh, with two counters on it. That that was like my more powerful plays, or just, like, flooding out and not having any anything relevant to play, just a bunch of matter reshapers and expedition maps. So, yeah, that kind of sucked. Um, so enough about me whining about my terrible weekend. But, uh, yeah, so how do you come back from that, right? Um, so in general, I... It was, I don't know, a long time ago I decided that I was not going to let, or I was going to try to not let my losses in Magic really affect my mood or, like, my outlook on the tournament, or life, or magic in general. It's just kind of like, sometimes you get good variants and things happen badly. Sometimes you play poorly, and, you know, you just get rolled for those reasons. And um, there's nothing you can really do about it after the fact, except for try and, like, improve your process, right? So uh, why did I do bad at the standard event? I wasn't really feeling like playing magic that day. I had a headache. My kid had the flu. It was just like, nah, great day to be doing that. I played terribly, drew miserably, and I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. It's, it's not a big deal. And then why I do poorly at the modern event, didn't really test, didn't have a lot of expectations, um, and, and kind of, you know, just tried to get there off of like, you know, random luck or, or riding the variance wave, if you will. So um, if, I, if I prepped for those tournaments a lot and I felt like very invested, like I should have done well, um, Probably, you know, there was something in your testing process that was incorrect, or maybe you didn't play as well as you thought you did. So if I felt like I really invested a lot of time and effort into doing well, and I still didn't do well, I would really try and reflect on uh, how I came to the conclusions I did before the tournament. Like, how did I end up on this deck, this configuration, that I guessed the meta correctly? If I didn't guess the meta correctly, like, what led me to the conclusions to I ha- that I had? And like, where were some of my assumptions wrong? Just like try and clean up some of the inaccuracies and the information that, you know, you, you gave yourself to start with. And then like at the event, there's a lot of small mistakes you probably made. Like every game you play, there's small mistakes that you make definitely for sure. Like unoptimal lines, um, even like if you play things too fast or too slow, like in, in Paper Magic, that can give away information about your hand or, or what you're trying to do in the, in the game. And it's, it's good to pay attention to that stuff if you have the... Uh, extra mental capacity to do so. Um, and yeah, just, just like try and reflect on that and, and, and improve, right? Like 
I think Vince or, or Doug uh, brought this up in the chat, in the, in the group. And it was like, you know, fix your process. If you fix your process and you like work on improving that, like your results work will come. Right. And it, it, that's, that's just true. It was Vince. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you credit for it, Vince, I guess, even though I'm not a hundred percent sure if you deserve it, but, uh, but yeah, maybe, wow. maybe I'll, let, I'll let Vince talk about that more, like improving the process. I, I think it's a very good, a good mindset. Also, just don't tilt yourself for losing. Like it's just not, it's not worth it. And it definitely, if your interest is in winning, it's definitely not going to help you do better. <laughs> True that. Um, yeah. So I think, and I, I, like I was a victim of this a lot when I was playing magic and I was going to PTQs back in the day and trying to get to the pro tour. My goal was to make the pro tour and that's not a good goal to have. That's not a goal that is realistic in terms of like, you can track your progress on it. You can, you know, analyze how well you're doing and then succeed or not. Right. Like I'm going to, I'm going to borrow some business terminology from my HR classes in, in graduate school and your goals need to be smart and it's an acronym and I'm going to try to remember what they all mean, but it's, it's actually super relevant when you're uh, making a goal for yourself. It's a uh, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and timely is smart. That's a smart goal. So basically what that means is if you're making a goal for yourself, don't make your goal win the RPTQ or win the tournament because that's not a goal that you can track or you can manage on your own really effectively. It's not me- like it's measurable in the sense, yes, I win or I don't, but you can't con- there's so many factors out of your control that are involved in that in that goal in terms of winning the tournament that make it unrealistic and it's going to frustrate you long term. So you need to before you even get into a tournament, think about what goal? What what are my goals for this this tournament that I can actually sort of action, and are things that I can really, you know, take awareness of and try to improve and reflect on afterwards. And those goals are goals like I need to make sure I mulligan effectively at this tournament, or I need to make sure that I don't, you know, or my scry decisions are correct. I need to make sure that um, I don't miss an attack step, or I play my lands in the correct order. These are types of things that you can very easily go, oh, I did it wrong that game. I did it right this game, but I didn't do it in round three. And once you start compartmentalizing your goals into smaller, manageable kind of tasks, you'll improve your game in the long term. Because once you've you know, managed your mulligan decisions, they kind of become second nature. Once you've managed how to play your lands in the correct sequence, that becomes second nature. And you kind of start building this whole skill set that will allow you to win games. But you can't start by going, I just want to win games. Because you're just going to get frustrated when you don't actually find a way to improve to the point where you're actually winning games that you shouldn't be winning. So you need to find aspects of your game that you're not great at or things that you think you need to improve on and focus on them. And then when you lose a game, don't go, wow, I lost a game, I suck. Go, maybe I did exactly what I was supposed to do that game in terms of my mulligan decisions. I mulligan correctly. Or I played my lands correctly. I lost but I'm now thinking about how to play my lands better, how to mulligan better. And you need to just kind of stack all of these improvements on top of each other. And overall, your game will improve to a point where you start winning more. And that's all that matters, honestly. Like, winning a tournament is great. Becoming a better player is way more important. It's infinitely more important if you want to actually win. And you can hear this when you, when you hear, like, the, the high-level pros talk about their game. None of them are super concerned about victories. They're worried about how well they're playing. 
and they talk about that when they're when they talk about their their play. They're like, you know, I didn't play very well that game, or um, I was really happy with how I played in the tournament, even if they didn't win, because that's what they're there for. They're there for really tight play, and that's that's the focus. It's not the victory. The victory will come with you know the right process. So change your focus from winning a tournament to playing better, and you'll incidentally start winning tournaments. Totes agree. Totes agree. <laughs> it's like poker, right? Like you can go down these, like have hands where you put yourself in a position to be like a heads up against someone where you're both all in and you're like an 80% favorite. You can't be mad that you lost that hand, right? Like that's not going to do you any good. You made all the correct decisions getting there, right? Like you got someone to put in all of their chips and you're an 80% favorite or whatever. This is like, this is a good position to be in. If you get to these points continuously over the long haul, you will, you'll come ahead. Right. So yeah, just like, you know, continue to make decisions that will put you at an 80% favorite. Sometimes you get 20% dunked out, <laughs> but eventually you'll, you'll get to ride those 80% uh, to, to some success. Also just to use another, cause I, I like the idea of analogies are good. And this is maybe showing the Canadian in me, but Think about it if you were like trying to get better at hockey. You wouldn't just say to yourself, like, I want to make the NHL or I want to win this tournament or I want to be the MVP of this tournament. You would think about aspects of your game you want to improve. You want to improve your skating, your shooting, your stick handling, your passing. That's you have to do the exact same thing in magic. Magic is a very multifaceted game that requires a whole bunch of different skill sets, and making your goal just winning is is never gonna get you there. You have to really focus on very small manageable improvements and incremental improvements but yeah good analogy with the poker too because poker you will just straight up lose when you play perfectly very often you also straight up lose when you're on heavy tilt (laughs) and you play poorly you also win when you play poorly and feel like you're rewarded and that's like something you need to shake that and that's actually that's actually a, a really important thing too you can win a tournament and play like a donkey and not deserve to win and and it'll totally go to your head and that's not a good thing to do either because it'll help justify poor play. So if you focus on your play, you'll always get better. If you focus on results, you might not. That's, that's really the takeaway here. <laughs> I love it. I'll just add my, my two cents. Uh, lately, I've, I've seen people post <clears throat> similar things. Like someone said that it was their first pro tour and then people, and then he, he finished like, let's say in eight. And people were saying, like, oh, don't feel so bad. Like, it's a good, pretty good job for, for the first PT. And I think the guy was really hard on himself saying, like, you know, it doesn't matter. If it's the first, like, uh, winning is – I'm putting words in his mouth, but basically highly focused on, oh, if, if I didn't win or, or do really, really well, it doesn't matter uh, type thing. And um, the problem, just like poker uh, in, in Magic, it's hard for us not to be results-oriented just because – it's um, the really, for a lot of us, the really important events happen only so few times during the year. Like if you really, if your goal, like, like Vince mentioned, all these different goals, if your goal is to be Pro Tour champion uh, and, and there's only four, you're going to put such a high emphasis on that tournament and, you know, qualifying it and then like not winning is going to be a huge tournament. And I think it's hard to really try to put, um, Try to be process oriented when you know your your mind and your heart is just, is into that. And same with poker, like the main event, not the best player doesn't win that 
all a lot because there's thousands of players in it. And but it's just it's just really hard because if if your goal is instead of being the best better player, the best player you can be is to just be a pro tour champion, you are going to be really disappointed <laughs> more often than not. And uh but it's hard it's just how the game works. I wish there were more relevant tournaments in between to make us feel good about our progress and not just have everything be on a tournament with you know a decent amount of variance so you know it just doesn't that's the part that is it's hard to feel rewarded for a lot of effort like you can put two weeks of training and break standard or whatever and break the draft format and get lucky and lose and just something that I, I guess, like personally, I, I've accepted that so that I can take losses easier and, and try to focus and, and um, keep keep hitting it. And once all the cards line up right, I, I take advantage of that. So I think it's like when Varence is on my side for that day, I got to make sure that I am ready to, to make the best plays. Um, so that to me is, is, is what I aim for for that day where i am handed the ball and i don't fumble it and i don't drop it so i mean just just to give an example of that point you just made gp toronto like i feel like the nation like we solved that draft format we knew how to draft on day two but i think three of us didn't day two like that sucked but again like i don't feel like brian rob did you day two you day two didn't you yeah yeah i I did too vince thanks Okay. Just, just wanted to make sure. No, but uh, Brian and I scrubbed out real hard, and I feel like, you know, we, I, I wouldn't blame, I wouldn't look at the results and go, wow, we, we, we're terrible. Like, there's no possible way we could have day two. We're awful. I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, I, I'm not going to blame exclusively the decks, but again, like, I feel like I played fine, and I was satisfied with the, with the way I played given the cards that I was handed. And if I had gone in there going, I have to win this tournament, I have to, like, I, I need to do well in draft, I need to day two, then I'd be super bummed if I didn't get there. But I felt like I played okay, and, and I, given the, the cards that I had, I made some pretty interesting lines and had a good time. So, I mean, again, you got to change, change what your focus is on rather than uh, the results themselves. It's really hard because, like, I jumped into this game to become pro tour champion, to be the very, to be the best in the world. That, that's what, how I jumped into it. I was a top chess player. I was top 10 in Quebec, one of the most promising players in chess in Canada, transitioned that competitive drive to magic. And my sole goal was to, to be the very best that I could be. And it took time for me to realize that uh, that wasn't the right way to view it. So I think a lot of people are, are definitely in the stage I was before. Where you know that's and, and that leads to a lot of disappointment. That leads to a lot of doubt. You know, should I keep playing? There's a lot of people with with those questions. Like, why do I even play anymore? Bother anymore? And uh, I'm sure Rob, you get a lot of people that that come to you with with doubts and stuff like that and disappointment. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they're like they ask me the same question. Like, you know, why are you not upset? You like just like scrub out an event uh, out of an event. And it's like, yeah, I scrub out of lots of events. That's just magic, <laughs> right? Like. I don't know. If you get mad about it, like you just so first and foremost, magic's a game, right? So you should have fun when you're playing it. And if you're uh visibly angry when you're losing, 
then this is really like not a place you should be spending your time and energy because like you're, you're obviously like not having fun uh, playing it, right? So I mean, you can do like anything with your spare time, and if you have interests that are not magic and you like doing things in your spare time that are productive, you can make a lot more money doing them. So if like you think you need to be good at magic so that it can be your career, and you're not even have fun playing the game. Uh, you should just like do almost anything else with your time. It'll be more profitable for you in the long run. There's uh, probably no one that makes even really minimum wage on average uh, in the pro community <laughs> playing Magic. So, like, given the hours in, I think even the most successful years for people are probably still very close to minimum wage. Um, yeah. I, I do want to add one thing because, Car, I think you, you brought up kind of an interesting point. You said you came in and your goal was to, you know, like be the best. And then it's hard for you to kind of get to the point where you think about the process rather than the results. The reason why you want to focus on the process is because you want to be the best player, right? Like it's it's not like you're forgetting about the fact that you want to be the best in the world. It's that in order to do that, you need to focus on the small things rather than go straight to the end, which is being the best. Like, yes, you want to be the best player in the world, or yes, you want to win a pro tour. Yes, you want to even make a pro tour. But there's so many things that have to happen first before you can make that your goal that you need to kind of break up that goal into a lot of smaller goals. And the people that are able to do that are the people that actually kind of climb that ladder rather than the people that have such lofty goals at the beginning and just end up being, like Rob said, super angry when they lose because... They're always failing to meet their own expectations, which are just like insanely high for themselves. <laughs> uh, one more last thing before we end the show. I actually liked, that's why I liked uh, MTGO leagues. I think it's like really rewarding to feel like when you're 4 owing, uh, 4 winning, sorry, or 5 owing, getting those tickets at profit. It's not just the profit because compared to other things that you could be doing, you could be making more money, but just like the consistent profit makes you feel like you have an edge and really rewards you and that's what that for me is showing like oh i'm picking the right deck i'm, I'm making the right decisions just grinding more games and, and feeling that i can hang with anyone that's that signed up in, in any of these constructed leagues uh we'll end the show uh this was uh a lot of uh different topics shouts again to sergio for for coming on and talking about his uh pt win uh anything you want to mention guys Sergio's finish was awesome, and I hope he gets the opportunity to uh, have a win in at the next GP that he plays in, and hopefully the tiebreakers break his way this time. <laughs> yeah, Sergio's a really cool dude. That was, that was, it, was, it was good to have him on. Um, one thing I do want to plug, as per usual, for the, the remainder of my time on this show for the next few months is the shop. Um, I have a website now. I have a Facebook page. I have an Indiegogo campaign going. If anyone wants cool swag like this shirt that's covered in paint from me painting in it, um, website is waypointgames.ca. Um, I'll put link to it in the chat. Um, you can see updates on how the store is going um, and get kind of some feedback on how everything is shaping up. Um, hopefully, for those of you who are local, I'm planning to be open in mid-December. Um, make sure you come check us out. If you join the Facebook page, you'll get sort of notifications on when we're going to have a launch party and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, really excited about it. Still chugging along here. It'll be done soon. 
and I'm looking forward to seeing some of you out there. Oh, we, we had two people from the Patreon uh, group qualify for the PT, this RPTQ, right, Car? Yeah, we had, uh, I think his name was Pasha. I don't want to brutalize it. But <laughs> he had played, I was heartbroken for him because he had played um, Brian's red-green ramp deck from the previous season, made top eight, lost in top four, um, and, and it was just a list that, uh, in retrospect, despite Brian like being on ramp from the beginning, um, I, I think it turns out like that ramp deck wasn't like insane, right, Rob? If you if you remember, it definitely um, was not insane. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But like the ideas there ended up being relevant at the end of the format. I think green white ramp ended up being a deck that was maybe had a little bit more legs, but the format was like really like on its last. <laughs> On its last days, when people kind of came around to that, thinking that oh, maybe this is a place where people want to be. Oh yeah, so sh- yeah, it's shout out to Pas- Pasha Miscati and Connor Bryant. So shout out to those guys. Connor Bryant was also a guest on the show, uh, talking about his MTGO win with Dredge, I believe. So they're so cute for Spain, and uh, we'll see how they do. And hopefully, uh, well, your RPDQ already passed. So now it's, uh, I guess, my, my time to try to, like, run the LCQ, RPTQ weekend this weekend. I need to I go do. to GP New Jersey now. I wasn't going to play in the GP uh, in December, <laughs> but I guess I'm driving down to Jersey. It's at least limited, so. Okay. Yo, I'm in. Let's do this. When All is right. it? It's December 15th. Oh, well, that might be tough, but the story. But we'll see. <laughs> I'm in. I'm out. <laughs> Shout out to our first strike uh, producer, Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, J. Thomas Eaton, Derek Pite, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Merchantson, Brent Vickers. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. And we'll continue, and Rob will continue to bring you sweet necklace, including Grixis. Well, people want you to bring modern, even though you're just, you know, you just brought Eldrazi travel. People really uh, want to see you bring modern. A, I already posted another sweet 5 list that's a red green deck in the group. And I'm working on something else spicy. So. <laughs> It's like red, green, non-pummeler aggro, right? Yeah, it just like it 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 cuts the uh, the mid-range cards from Teamer Energy basically, and just playing a much stronger aggro energy game. But it's it's not a it's not a combo deck like uh, like pummeler is with like invigorated rampage and this other nonsense. So just, the fact that I hate it is probably a good sign that someone would top eight with it if you play it. Because I mean. One for one on Rob decks that I hate, people jamming to success. So exactly, take a peek <laughs> and showing some promise in testing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've only played five matches with it, and I won all five matches. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, nice sample guys. size, dude. <laughs> perfect. List is perfect. <laughs> Zero one next week, and uh, if you guys are opening any iconic masters of our listeners and, and want to tell us how you feel about the set, let us know. And uh, for for Rob, Vincent, and and me, myself, we'll see you next Monday. Bye.